stuff. Boy, today we are going to take a journey where we find Paul embarking after two years, finally having the opportunity to head to the place that he knows God is sending him to. But the journey becomes far, far more difficult than he imagined. And in this case, the journey will involve getting lost before he's found. Getting lost before he's found. So we're in Acts chapter 27. If you allow your phones, you can click on, you know, your version, Holy Bible, and click down there. It'll give you a copy of the outline you can follow through. Those of you that have the outline with you, you can pull that out. We're only going to use the front side today because... After studying, once I got to six pages worth, I said, I don't think we want to go any farther than that. So we're doing Acts 27, not 27 and 28. It's just chapter 27. This week's been a very, very interesting one. We were uh, involved in preparation for the journey uh, to Costa Rica. And as we prepared for that, we have some 13 people getting ready to go over there for a special missions trip. That should be a wonderful, wonderful time. I really wanted to go, but I'm unable because of other situations taking place in my life, other journeys that are happening with me. But as we put that together, it's called do this thing, do that thing. You need this, you need that. Oh, no, we got the tickets. No, you didn't get the tickets. Oh, they cost this much. Oh, they cost that much. And so it's pretty hilarious. So we're working through some of those issues and trying to put it all together so we can do the best thing. We finally get it all done. The Lord finished it up for us. But I thought, you know, oftentimes the journey is, is so different. There's, it's like completely unimagined Issues come up. Things you'd never think were going to take place suddenly pop up. It's like a, if you ever read a really good book, I, I love Harlan Coben books. And what he always does is he is always coming up with this twist. So you think you got it, and then he comes up with a twist, and you go, ah, and it changes your entire perspective of what took place and what's going to take place. Great books by Harlan Coben there. Uh, in, in that same vein, how many of you ever saw the movie The Sixth Sense? Remember that? How many of you figured out what was going on before you were halfway through? Yeah, exactly. That was so well done. And I was watching. I'm going, my little, I have this little clicker said, hold it. Something's off here. Something, what, what's going on? And I couldn't figure it out. Finally got to the end. We found out that, of course, if you all, those who have seen the show, there's a young boy who sees ghosts. And the main character actually is a ghost, but nobody knows it, including him. He doesn't know he's a ghost. He doesn't realize that he's died and he's interacting with this young man uh, as a ghost. He thinks he's interacting with him as his psychiatrist, helping him along. Now, don't take that too far about psychiatrists, okay? So. But it was a very interesting picture because you think you've got it and then you get to the end and you go, oh, it's throwing such a huge twist in it. Completely changes the story in what you thought were going to take place and what actually took place along the way. Well, what I found, uh, especially if you look at 27 and 28 here, and if you walk through this entire book of Acts, is God is constantly throwing a twist into the plan. It's like you're going, I thought I got it, and then, oh, there's this twist. Oh, that's what was happening all along. You see, the Lord has this wonderful picture and understanding of what's going to take place and how it's supposed to take place. And so he changes, and he does gets them involved in certain events and actions. And even when they make the wrong choice, he uses it to bring about a great response. Now, to give you the quick picture here, in Acts 27, there's a 
storm and a shipwreck and they disobey God's direction not to go there. But the result is they're shipwrecked on an island called Malta and the result becomes the entire island comes to Christ. Because of Paul's obedience and responsiveness to God. And so we know this later because also interesting enough, the one odd thing in this entire set of two chapters, especially chapter 27, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, all of you got that right? Luke's the writer. He doesn't mention people being brought to Christ in this chapter. It's the only chapter. But he never mentions anybody being brought to Christ. And I thought, why does not he mention that? Well, let me give you a flip side for it. I think I know why. Julius is the centurion. And it says Julius is this interesting guy who comes into play here. Julius is over about 100 men. He's also part of the imperial a cohort, so he's a specialized head of, kind of think of special forces, and he's over up to 500 people, but in this case, known as about 100 people, that's why they call him a centurion, over 100. And he is a, a remarkable man, and he begins to respond to Paul right off the bat in a very uh, encouraging manner. He's quite friendly with him, which is very, very unusual for a prisoner. You just, that doesn't happen with a prisoner and the person who's in charge of them. But he responds very positively, positively to uh, in this particular case, to Paul, as it continues on, you begin to catch the change in attitude that begins to happen. And what I think takes place is the very thing that oftentimes I get with missionaries. And they say, please don't tell anybody about this person who came to Christ while we were here. Because if you do, they could get into trouble and be put to death. And I think what happens in this case is Julius is being protected by Luke. He's trying to make sure that all these going to have some incredible impact, not seen as making huge mistakes in relationship to Paul as Paul guides them along and helps them understand what needs to be done so that they might receive Christ. But even more than that, recognize that God is the one leading all of these situations and these circumstances. He will literally save Julius from not just embarrassment, but death itself as he ensures that all the prisoners are brought back safely. And if you understand Roman protocol, for him not to bring back a prisoner safely meant he would either have to die or he'd have to carry out the sentence of any of the prisoners that he, that he didn't get there. That was, that was how it took place. So I begin to get a picture. I begin to go, that's why, it's the only thing I can come up with, Luke intentionally stays away from this Many people were brought to Christ. That's over and over. You can't see here. Many people were brought to Christ. Many people responded and believed. That will happen in chapter 28, but it doesn't happen in chapter 27. And I think that's what is going on here in, in this particular case here. So think of that Julius. I think you need to get into his picture for a second, what takes place here. Acts 27 is a journey. The journey begins with the picking of a, of a particular ship. Julius picks out a ship. He changes ships later. He has an opportunity because Paul directs him to not, to not uh, go on this ship because there's going to be a huge shipwreck. He chooses to go ahead and go with it anyway, despite Paul's warning. He says, no, I'm going to go ahead with the plan. And there's actually, they have a democratic vote. They all vote. And they say, yep, let's go for it. And so they went for it. The result is this incredible shipwreck. Uh, Just unbelievable stuff takes place. We'll walk through it here in just a minute. And then... After that, at the very, very end, where they're getting ready to put the prisoners to death, which is the normal response because they're afraid that they'll escape. And Paul tells them, don't do it. 
And Julie says, okay, and he stops them from putting the prisoners to death. And the result is all of them are not only saved, but all of them stay with them. All of them agree to stick with it, and they go all the way to Rome with Julius, the centurion, and those uh, soldiers that were guarding them. So that gives you a quick picture of what's going to take place today as we walk through uh, some of these ideas or concerns here. Journey, a storm, a shipwreck. That's probably the biggest uh, thing that's going to take place here. So let's have a little word of prayer and ask God to lead us, all right? Father, uh, this morning, we're dealing with some issues that are uh, close to my heart. And I know that there are things that all of us here struggle with. All of us have made wrong decisions and found ourselves facing a storm. And the result of it is sometimes not too bad and sometimes just terrible. So many people that I interact with in life have resisted your direction. And the result has been incredible disaster. And we would ask today that as we look through this section of 27 that you'll teach us the truth about responding to you and then help us to understand how we can and then how you'll bring about great things in our life as a result of that. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 27. Let's deal with the journey. Okay, starts with some details. It says, when it was decided that we would finally sail for Italy, that's me doing the finally, okay, Paul, it's been two years, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramatium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, okay, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, Thessalonica actually, was with us. So there's two people with Paul here. I want you to catch that. Luke because he's writing and telling us, and another friend, Aristarchus, okay? The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, catching that relationship thing, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs, and from there we put out to sea again. We passed on to the Lee of Cyprus because the wind sweep, winds were against us. Now, the first few verses here are a detailed explanation of where the ship journeys in the first part of the voyage. And nothing devastating happens there at all. Paul and the other prisoners are loaded onto the particular ship that Julius is now taking charge of. Uh, As we said, he's got at least a minimum of 100 men that he's in charge of. And he has, because of his Roman situation, the ability to take any ship he wants. Any ship that he wants is going to say, okay, we're we're going on your ship and you're going to take us to here. And they have no choice. So he loads onto that ship and they take him wherever it is that he decides he wants to go. So he can commandeer any vessel that he wants as long as it's large enough to suit his needs and his purposes. That's the picture coming place. We continue. When they had sailed across the open seas of the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship that was sailing for Italy and it put us on board. They're sailing to Rome. So the ship headed off to Rome. We made slow headway for many days. That's, we'll find out, is, uh, he's being really nice. They, they didn't get anywhere. They basically stood still for days, and then the winds came into play and just beat them up. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone, and we moved along the course with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Okay, now we've got a little map here. Let's see if we can pop that map up. Uh, as we look at the journey, we've got this port of 
we start off down here, and you can see down on the bottom, we've got Jerusalem and Caesarea and Sidon, and it goes, you see, it goes up around here, and it comes to Myra. Okay? In the port of Myra, the centurion is able to find another boat. So he's up there, and he takes another boat, and it says, after he gets that, he starts, that was getting ready to sail for uh, uh, Italy, Rome in this particular case. Okay? So he secures passage for himself as prisoners. He loads everyone on board, and the weather hasn't really improved, but they keep going anyway, and Luke notes that they're going slow and difficult. So they stop at that next little place called Sidious. See it up there on the side? Just by close to, close to roads there. Okay, so that's where they stop at. They have to stop there along that case. And so case they stop there. It's a little town in that southwest corner of Asia Minor. Uh, the island of Rhodes is just to the south of it. You can see that. And straight west to, to Greece is over on the other side. The weather wouldn't allow them to continue on. So they're forced instead to sail southwest to the island of Crete. So it says, oh, they want to sail over here, but they have to sail southwest to the island of Crete. And they end up over here. You see where it says Fair Haven and Lasea. Okay? They thought they'd find calmer waters underneath the Isle of Crete, but they actually found the opposite. So with difficulty, they went against the wind. They get into the village called Fair Haven, and they stop there. So you have these weary sailors and prisoners. They're relieved to finally get some respite from this foul weather. Any of you that have done any, I could have had, I could have had Don up here talking about Tough weather. It's a fun time, right, buddy? Don, you get out on a sailing ship and suddenly it starts getting really rough. And so, yeah, how, how do you say seasick, right? One of those things. You just, well, uh, yeah. keep on going, baby. You know, just keep on going. Reduce the sail, keep on going. The big storm hits and you hope you're not in the spot. Because if you're in the middle of the ocean and the, big, and the big storm hits, Don isn't here today. We read about him and how his ship sank in the middle of nowhere because it was just too rough. It was too difficult. He's smart enough not to fall into that situation, obviously, because he's with us today. So we continue on. His wife laughed when I said that, so I'm not going to go into detail. We're going to leave that one alone. So this foul weather, they've been handling, dealing with the sea, bailing the boat, manhandling the sails, and they are worn out. Okay, it's even difficult to sleep and eat at this time. These are not cruise ships. These are very, very tough situations. This is a bad time to sail on top of They shouldn't be sailing this time of the year, but they've chosen to for uh, unfortunate reasons. In fact, we'll see a little thing here with the Alexandrian ship. They're actually trying to make some big money because they're going to be the last ship to bring grain over to Rome. So they're going to make some big bucks because he's going at this final time. So he's taking a big risk to do it. But you get the idea of what's happening here in terms of these guys. Now we have this warning. Much time had been lost, it says. So, okay, we've been waiting here. We're waiting for the weather to change. It doesn't change. The sailing, however, become even more dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, what we call Yom Kippur, okay? So the Day of Atonement had already gone by. So now we find ourselves in this October, November, December time where it's a very dangerous time to sail. Paul warns them. He says, men... I can see, so God has spoken to him, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. It's going to bring great loss to ship and cargo and even to our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. I want you to catch this because I think this has great applicability to us. When God tells us something, we recognize it, and then the owner of the ship and the pilot, who are the smart guys, they know what they're doing. Said, no, nah, it's not a problem. We can do this. And you go, well, I really feel like the Lord's telling me no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay? So we're going to see what happens when you do that. 
says, man, I can see the voyage is going to be disastrous. They went to the advice. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, this is one of the excuses. Well, it's really not suitable to stay here. We probably we need to move on to the next harbor. So the majority decided we should sail on. They had a democratic vote. They voted with the sailors. They voted with the soldiers. What do you guys think? And the sailors and the soldiers do whatever the leaders tell them to do. You got that, don't you? So it's not really a vote. It's just a, yeah, right, we're going to do this, right, guys? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, some of you will go, yeah, sure, sure, Pastor, we're going to do that. Not, you know. But some of you are thinking that when we get into certain situations. So you say, yeah, 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 we're going to have. Well, in this case, they're in the boat, so they have to be a part of it. So they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to decide that we'll sail on it. We're going to try to get to Phoenix, which is a safe harbor, and we're going to winter there. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how much time he spent in Fairhaven. He just says it's been there for a long time. They're waiting for the weather to clear, and it doesn't. So you think of that lost time. We've all been in that situation where we go, you know, I, I've lost all this time. I've lost this money. I've lost it. I, I just got it. I got to take a chance. And when you take that chance, that's why it's called a chance. Okay? Usually a bad idea. It's usually a bad idea. But sometimes you get away with it. Sometimes you get away with it. This time, they don't. Majority of voters to sail, but they agree to make the journey to Italy. Okay? Not specifically, though. They're going to stop. Instead of trying to get all the way, they're going to go to Phoenix, which is a little spot that they'd be able to stop at. To do this. They'd sail around the corner of Crete to the port of Phoenix, and there they would spend the winter. So they're not going to try to get all the way to Rome. They've recognized, no, we can't go that far. We're going to shortcut it. We're just going to stop over here. We can't stay here. We're going to go ahead and move over here, and we'll stay there. Okay? Should only take about one day to sail to Phoenix in, here's the key term, good weather. In good weather. About one day sailing time. So that's all it's going to take. But the weather was not agreeable. Okay, so Paul must have shook his head in resignation as everyone prepares to set sail. Think about it. Now, now, it seemed like a reasonable response, by the way, on the part of the crew. This was not a stupid response. This was a fair response. The problem was this. Do you understand what the problem with the response was? God had already spoken. He already said, you don't want to do this. He uses Paul to clarify, guys, I know this isn't the best place, but it's the best place. This is the best place in this situation. You need to stay put. You need to stay put. Now, when God warns us to say something, when he says no to us, that's the time to do what? Yeah, stay put. Stay put. But Lord, I really, he said, I know but stay put. If you don't, it's going to turn out bad. We hear God's voice warn us to wait. We decide we know better. We set our sails and we steer straight into the storms of life. And away we go. It's crisis time. I, I, I was at Lake Tahoe. We were at a special couples retreat. Having a good time. I think there was about ten of us there. And it was a great retreat. And we got all done. And two of the couples said, you know, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get home in this time. I said, okay, great. Not a problem. A storm hit. I said, you know, if I was you, I would wait until the storm stopped. Now, I'm not God, so don't get that wrong. Okay. But it seemed pretty obvious. Guys, this is not a good time. I know you've got a four-wheel drive, but it's probably not a good idea. You probably ought to stay and wait. He said, we just got to go now, Lee. We're out of here. We've got to go. Okay, there you go. So they got in their four-wheel drive, and off they went. You know, two couples, and off they went. Da, da, da. And this was kind of pre-cell phone days. Okay. 
Sorry, I'm older than you think. Okay. Well, maybe not. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> it is free cell phone days. And so off they went, and we stayed, and storm came through, and storm finally stopped. And we wondered, wow, I hope they made it. I hope things went okay. Made a couple calls. No, they hadn't gotten home yet. Oh, okay, well, hopefully nothing bad's going on. So we get in our car, we take off, we head on down. We catch them. We literally pull onto uh, the highway that's headed right into Sacramento, which is where I was living at that time, Citrus Heights, Sacramento. And there they are. And we pull over and say, what happened? They said, well, we've been stuck all night long behind this huge amount of people that were, we were behind this snow truck that was pushing the snow. That was the best you could do. It was such heavy snow doing the whole thing. And we're just laughing. We're going, well, we slept really well last night. When the Lord tells you to, to stop, to stay, as much as you want to go, you have to learn to say, Lord, if you say stop, I'm going to stay. Okay, that's just, just an insight you need to get along this thing. Let's continue on. When a gentle south wind began to blow, get the feeling, oh, calm down, gentle south wind. Oh, good. The weather's changing. We got a chance. God said, don't go. Oh, but there's a gentle south wind beginning to blow. Somebody just sent me the extra money that I needed to be able to do this. Okay? Gentle south wind. They saw their opportunities. They weighed acre. They sailed along the shore of Crete. But before very long, in a very short time, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down the island. The ship was caught by the storm. They couldn't head into the wind, so they gave way to it. They were driven along. And as we passed by the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard, and they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it all together. They were afraid they would run aground in the sandbars of Cerritus. They lowered the sea anchor, and they let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally, you could circle this, gave up all hope. We were dead men sailing. We were dead men sailing. We gave up all hope. Got the picture. The weather breaks. Soft wind blows. The crew, great, this is what we're waiting for. Thinking the bad weather's behind and they pulled up the anchor. They raised the sail. They left Fair Havens. They sailed close to the shoreline, heading west to Phoenix, trusting that their good luck would hold. And suddenly the wind started and the crew were unable to keep the ship on course. They had no choice. They had to give up and let the winds take the ship away from Crete, away from safety. They passed underneath a small island called Kata, and this slightly diminished the wind as they got by the island. Okay? Slightly diminished the wind. So when that happened, they worked feverishly to secure the ship's lifeboat as they were tossed about by the waves. And fearing the ship might break apart, they passed ropes underneath the ship, and they tied them all together. Now, to accomplish this task, several crewmen would take a long rope, they take to the bow of the ship, and they start to run, and they go all the way to the lee of the ship, bring it, and bring it all the way back over again. And they continued this process over and over and over again until they had ropes all the way across the top of the ship. So everywhere you're at, there's ropes. Everybody's hanging onto these ropes as well, by the way, because there's this intense waves are pounding them. They're just getting beat up. And the theory was that these ropes would hold the ship together. 
Yeah, right. Okay. Good luck. That's really what you're saying. Good luck. But it was their last hope. So they passed ropes underneath the ship. They're thinking, okay, this is incredibly difficult. They're drenched by the spray of the sea. The bows are crashing across the waves. When they're finished, they tie the sea anchor to the stern of the ship. They toss it into the water, and it's dragging in the water behind the ship like a small parachute. Okay? That's what's going on. So it's slowing the ship down. The sea anchor would drift with the current, and the boat would not be driven entirely by the wind. All they could now was hold on and pray. As the storm and the current drives them west, he says they're violently storm-tossed. It's because the sea anchor is dragged behind them. The waves are moving faster than the ship is moving. And the stern of the ship would rise up and dump down, rise up and dump down. And the whole thing would shake back and forth, rise up and dump. So you're sitting here going, oh, my. Can you say seasick? You get the pay. Oh, it's like, this is brutal. These guys, this is brutal. These are sailors plus, but it doesn't matter. It is gyration going on and on and on. They can't eat. They can't sleep. This entire thing is going on for days, not hours, days. This boat is getting swamped. They're throwing the water over as fast as it's coming in, trying desperately to, to so it would be not so heavy. They're trying to lighten the ship to prevent it from taking water and sinking. And so now they're going, I'm going to lose everything, everything. And they have to start tossing off the grain. It's getting soaked. It's getting heavier. They've got to toss their money out. Now, this isn't just the profit for the owner. This is also the wages for the sailors. They're not going to get paid now. This is an incredibly difficult decision. We go, we've got to do it. They toss off the grain. So they lighten the ship, but it doesn't get light enough. Then they move to the ship's tackle. And he says they throw this heavy tackle overboard with their own hands. The crew would have no way to raise and lower the sails now because they don't have the tackle to do it with pulleys, etc. Now they're going to have to do it entirely by hand, whatever they can do. And the sails, half of them are probably torn apart as well as on top of the whole thing. So the storm is driving it westward, and it drives the hope out of their hearts, and depression sets in. And the darkness of the storm, it says, hides the sun during the day, and it hides the stars and the moon at night. Days go on, and they're getting less and less and less hope, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, but they can't eat, and they can't drink because they're sick. Some 276 men literally dying. And all hope is gone. Wow. Let's step back for a second. I want you to think baggage. Say that word for me. Baggage. How many of you have excess baggage in your life? Yeah. We're always in the process. I got another bag of clothes. I said, I don't need all these things. I'm constantly getting rid of things. We don't need this. We don't need that. I got my neighbor. He said, we're trying to bring it, get rid of all this stuff. It's just junk to me. All this stuff I had from this bigger house when we moved over here, and it's just junk to me now. I said, yeah, you got, rid, got to get rid of excess baggage in our lives. We carry around a lot of that baggage. It's junk. We pick up in our travel through life. And some of it is physical, and some of it is mental, and some of it is emotional. Some of it has to do with our soul. And people we come in contact with hand us burdens. And we struggle with that in our family. Isn't that big one? Those are, those, how many of you have older mo- mom or dad that you happen to deal with? Yeah. How many of you have younger? Yeah. 
and even down to grand. See, I'm in the stage of my life, I have grandkids, I have kids. I've got a mother-in-law. I've got, you know, Mary and I are like, man, we're getting pulled to both ends. They need help. They need help. They need help. They need. It's like, whoa, Lord. Help us keep enough margin so we can respond to the needs of those around us as you give us opportunity and ability. And it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to keep the margin and say, well, let's keep this thing all put together here. The crew of the ship tosses all their cargo overboard, but then they have to get rid of the tackle. You see, they got rid of the cargo. Clothes, okay, I got rid of that. I got rid of this. I got rid of that. Got a little smaller house. But now it's becoming the ship's tackle. And the tackle, I, I think there's a picture here. I'm going to make it a picture whether you like it or not. So the picture is, tackle is actually tied to the ship. And the tackle in our lives is those things that are tied to us emotionally and our soul and our hearts. And they're people that are so close to us that literally when they hurt, we hurt. You know that. And it's, it's so hard. Uh, my kids, I'm ah, I, I so hurt. And then as you expand that, I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I interact with a lot of different people. And you start absorbing all these hurts. And you go, okay, Lord. And he says, you know, Lee, you need to get rid of a lot of this tackle in your life. You need to get rid of these things that, that are coming into place in your life and, so that you can be responsive to me in the future. You need to get rid of the tackle so you can respond to me in the future. And one of the major areas of tackle in our life is, is an issue called forgiveness. That's why Jesus deals with it so often. So, you know, isn't this great? Oh, I can't lift that sucker. This puppy will cut through anything I can put in between it. Anybody want to put their finger in here and test it? Okay, yeah. Okay, I got a young man who wants this. Oh, you see, it, it, this is brutal. And I look at that and I go... In our own lives, God has provided us with this bolt cutter. And I call it, his bolt cutter is the ability to forgive and to be forgiven. To forgive others and to be forgiven. And I want to tell you, I'm going to go right now into a little bit of a political scene for a minute, okay? Some of you are hung up on the political scene right now. Nobody's happy about what's going on. But you're getting caught up in some of this stuff. And I want to tell you, you need to forgive. You need to move on. You need to allow, allow this tackle to destroy your life. Some of you are caught up in issues within your home structure with your kids, and they've betrayed you, they've done this. And you you need to not get caught up in it. You need to pick up the bolt cutters and say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, cut this thing out of my life. I don't want to carry this. I don't want to continue with this. It's it's this wondrous picture that Jesus tries to give to us over and over and over again that um, there are chains in our life that weigh us down and hinder our forward movement. And he wants to provide us with this wonderful ability to get rid of them. And if you won't cut those areas in your life, you're going to drown. Your ship's going to go down. It took three days for them to get rid of, finally decide we've got to get rid of the tackle. Three days. I go, why did it take three days? Because they had to wait till the very, very end. It's finally, okay, Lord, enough. Enough. I give up. I give up. And God shows you these things. He's showing some of you right now. He's saying, hey, you know what that is? And he's speaking to you, and he's saying, this is where you need to let me cut that loose. Let me cut that loose in your life. There's a great movie out right now called Ben-Hur. It just came back on, and really enjoyable. And in the movie, the movie is really about, the same as it was before, a man who's dealing with revenge and this hatred that he has 
of his brother, to use that term in this case. And God's cry to him, Jesus' cry to him, not to hold on to revenge, not to strike back at those who strike us down. Let's watch this little clip in this that I think is... um,
the storms in life, the struggles that take place, and then the desperation where we fall into trying to blame others. And we hold on to this hatred and anger. And, and God is saying, you know, when that happens in your life, you need to learn to release it. Bring out the bolt cutters. Get rid of it. Just keep going. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said this, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Really appreciate that. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss, but now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Little closing statement. But we're going to have to run aground on some island. That much I know. If only I'd listened to God. If only I had obeyed. If only I'd stopped. If only I'd stayed. See, that's the cry of this passage. It's trying to remind us that when we get in the middle of a raging storm, God doesn't leave us. He doesn't let us go. He just says, I tried to warn you. I tried to ease your situation. Now, however, I'm going to help you get through it. But... Don't expect to get through it without losing all your profit. Don't expect to get through it without losing all your profit. See, we're not alone when we're in these storms. God is with us. He's simply saying, there's a lesson to be learned here. Please learn the lesson this time. Learn the lesson this time. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings. So they dropped down this particular rope, which would tell them how far it had gone down. As they hit the bottom, they had the rope laid out so it would be set up so you could tell exactly how deep it was. They took soundings and said they found the water was 120 feet. A short time later, it was 90 feet. Fearing they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the storm. They prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down from the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors. And Paul turns to the centurion and the soldier and says, unless these men stay with the ship, you will not be saved. And they instantly walked over, cut the cord on the, on the rope for the lifeboat and let the lifeboat go. Now that's listening, folks. Last time they weren't listening. This time they are listening. So they go through this process. They recognize they're getting closer to the land. They hear the roar of the wind. But in the midst of that, they hear something changing. They recognize they're getting closer and closer. They begin to panic because they thought they're going to run up against something. And the centurion listens to Paul's advice, cuts the rope. And these guys come up. I can have just ticked at him. Really? How dare? We had our chance to get out of here and you did that. Not knowing Paul is actually saving their lives. They think they see an easy way to get out of the situation, but it was not. It was the wrong thing to do again. We're back in a stay and wait. See, this is the reason why our suicide, suicide rate is so high today. It's like, oh, there's an easy way out. Or alcohol and drugs, it's an easy way out. 
That's not God's way out and it won't get you anywhere. All it will do is bring you down deeper. I could bring testimony after testimony of a person here to say, that does not get you out. Let's continue on. Just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, you've gone without food. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now, I'm sure he's exaggerating. Hey, let's not go. Oh, see what he said? Not a single. He's using general pictures saying none of you are going to die. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks in front of them all. He began to eat and they were encouraged. They ate some food themselves. There was 276 of them. The reason they tell you that so you know 276 men are going to be saved. They ate as much as they wanted. Daylight came. They recognized the land. They saw a bay with a sandy beach. Actually, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. They cut loose the anchors. They left them in the sea. At the same time, they untied the ropes and held the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. They couldn't see the sandbar. The waves are too much. They still didn't have good sight. Maybe it was early in the morning, whatever. So they couldn't see it. It ran into that. Once it got there, it stuck fast. It wouldn't move. The stern was starting to be breaking to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion, see, Julius, we're back here at the beginning, understanding what's going on here. Julius wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim, jump overboard, get to land. The others get on a plank or other pieces of the ship. And this way, they all got to land safely. Phenomenal sunrise. Men are able to see. Hope begins to arise in their heart. They begin to see Malta over on the side, but they don't recognize what land this is. They put together the ship as best as they possibly can. They run into a sandbar again. They think, oh, no, just when we thought we were going to make it. And Paul says, all you need to do is swim to the shore. But everybody gets there or nobody gets there. Everybody gets there or nobody gets there. A show called The Finest Hours. That was the line that the guy gave. He went out to save these people. He's in his ship and he said, we either are all going to die or we're all going to live. There's no other way around it. There's no other way. And Paul's saying, we're either all going to die or we're all going to live. That's exactly what he is saying. Have you ever been in a storm in your life? You lost all hope? Yeah, Pete, come on up and bring up the worship team, please. You feel like the situation or the struggle that you're going through is going to sink your ship? Yeah, I think we've all been there. If not, you will. You will. And it seems like everything's falling apart. And we, the light at the end of the tunnel is a truck coming our way. We're like, Lord, really? Really? Is that it? Is this where we're coming to? The waves are looming over our heads. We're sucking air. We're so afraid. And then in the midst of that, God shows up. In the midst of that, something spectacular begins to take place. And as we wait for him, we find the miracle of life. And we discover a remarkable thing. You're the mission of God. God's desire is that all of you might be saved and that all of you might experience hope and joy and peace and faith. You're his mission. And when God's on a mission, he always accomplishes it to those who are willing to cry out and say, Lord, hear my cry. Whenever you cry out to God, he'll hear your cry. I guarantee it. he's done it to me over and over again. 
And you don't know the cry of those around you. But you've got to cry out. And that's what we're going to do now for the next five or ten minutes. We're going to sing a few songs. And as they sing here, I want you to think about this. And say, Lord, there's this storm in my life right now. I'm on this journey. And I just don't know what to do. And say, Lord, speak to me. Let me hear your voice and know whether I should go or stay. How am I supposed to respond here? Guide my journey. And some of you have gone on the journey and you've gone ahead of away from God and you're in the midst of a shipwreck. And it's time for you to say, God, help me in the midst of my wreck. I'll give up everything I have. I don't care. I just pray that you would save my life and give me hope. There's people all around you willing to pray with you and for you. In every row, there's somebody willing to pray. There's somebody who needs prayer. So everybody bow your heads. We're going to begin to pray and ask God. I don't know what your prayer is, but you bring it to the Lord. Listen to the song. Allow him to speak to your heart and soul. Any of you want to come down here and pray with me? You can. That's great. You can pray to the people next to you. But we're just going to spend the next five, six, eight minutes in prayer. Come, let's pray.